0: you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation 14. Revelation 14. We started chapter 14 last week. It was an awesome, very encouraging passage as John then looks and sees the Lamb standing on top of Mount Zion. We stopped that at verse 5, and then we, today we'll begin at verse 6 with the messages of these three angels. This section here, chapters 12, 13, 14, has been so very good, and we are gaining and learning a lot from it. I want to remind you that before that, though, were the seven trumpets. And the final trumpet was the end of the world. And so what we have here is this really helpful section that is often ignored or overlooked, this really helpful section where we're just getting some clarity on a lot of truths that we already believe we're hearing more about the devil. We're hearing more about how the devil works in the world through society and fake religion and all of that sort of stuff. We're hearing a call to endurance and a call to faith and a call to persevere and a call to wisdom. Man, these things are good for us. This is what our lives need. This is what believers need to show up to church on a Sunday and hear the word open and to see that, yes, life will beat you down. That's the very thing the devil's trying to do to you. But God reigns and he stands as the victor on top of heaven. And we are to hope in him. Well, in the middle of this, as we are moving toward the end of the Bible, we're pretty close. This is climaxing, uh, if you will. We get this messages of the three angels. And this is still what John's seeing. This is still the revelation. This is still the images that he's seeing. Verse 6 of our passage today, says, Then I saw. Okay, he's still just seeing this vision. But this time, it's three different angels and three different small messages. It's nothing new. Nothing new here. Nothing controversial. We've kind of had some uh, heaviness uh, earlier in Revelation, but not today. Uh, Today, this is just truth that we've known, truth that we understand, but it's just being told again. And as we get finished here in a few minutes, you're just going to find yourself going, yes, those things are true. Yes, those are the big things. Yes, that's what's most important. Yes, I need to be wholeheartedly trusting in Christ. Yes, I need to be surrendering that I would love God the way I know that he loves me. That's what these messages are going to bring out. They are big truths just being told yet again. As John is seeing all of this, you got into the world, you've got judgment, you've got these heavy things coming, you've got the devil, you've got his influence, you've got distraction, you've got all of this kind of ungodliness... Today, we get these three messages that are just truthful messages that you know. Read with me from Revelation 14, verses We're head with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand... Follow them. That's one of those passages that you think, I liked reading that. That was good for my heart. That was good for my soul. That was good for my faith. Makes me think that reading through the Bible and preaching through the Bible page by page and chapter by chapter and verse by verse is really so good for our church. We didn't skip this passage. Can you imagine how much weaker we would be in our faith if we had just bounced from like the seven churches in chapters two and three to the highlights of chapter five because it's worthy is the lamb that was slain, and then we bounced forward and make sure we hit 666 because everybody's got questions about that. If we just bounced around and called this a seven-part series, we would have almost undoubtedly skipped 14, 6 through 13. This little section here of the message of three angels, everything that we're reading today has already been said in the Bible. These are the massive truths that are just coming out again but they are really good for us. What I want to do with this passage today is just look at each of the three messages. Let's go through message one, let's go through message two, let's go through message three, and then let's end up with a fourth and final point of this summary section, verses 12 and 13. So kids that are using the listening page, following along, there are four points there. The first one is message one. An eternal gospel. John sees another angel flying directly overhead. Just picture this. This is like when you're at the beach and the plane flies by with a sign behind it. This is like the thing in the sky that catches your attention. An angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth. What a statement. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ being Savior and Lord. It's the good news that God loves sinners. It's the good news that even though you've offended God, He sent Jesus to remove that offense by offering up His life for you. That needs to be proclaimed. Our mission statement as a church says, We exist to proclaim Jesus. And here in Revelation 14, it says that that message to be proclaimed is an eternal message. It means that is the message that is going to be on the front of your mind and in the front of your lips and deep in your heart for the rest of eternity. Listen to me, folks. What you understand right now about Jesus is the least that you'll understand for the rest of your lives forever. Think about that. You are going to increasingly understand the gospel more and more and more from this day forward forever. It's an eternal message. It's a good news that is forever. And this angel comes over flying, and he says he's got an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth. And he uses that phrase, that four-subject phrase that we've already seen multiple times to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. God's eternal message is for everybody for all time. Does everybody hear that? God's eternal message is for everybody for all time. And what a beautiful statement this is. John's been seeing all this stuff. He's been seeing all these judgments, all these seals, all these trumpets. He's been seeing some ugliness. He's been seeing people losing their lives. He's been seeing persecution. He's been seeing the devil, the beast coming out of the sea. He's been seeing the devil, the beast coming out of the earth. I mean, he's been seeing some ugliness. And yet he's reminded that there is a message There is a message, there is some wording, there's a story that is to be told for everybody, everywhere, for all time. Proclaim this. There's a lot of misunderstandings out there about God, and that is so unfortunate. I hope that we as a church really feel it deep in our bones and in our soul that one of the things we're wanting God to do with our lives is to bring great clarity, crystal clear, crisp clarity to all the people out there who are now raging against God because they don't know what God is really like. So much of the rebellion that goes on in the world is coming from a misrepresentation. It's somebody who has misrepresented God. May it be your desire, your conviction to show people what God is truly like. In doing that, may we communicate accurately what he's like. And here's what that message is. It's a summary in verse 7. He said with a loud voice. So you got an angel flying overhead with this eternal gospel. And here's what he says loudly. Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The message that everybody needs to hear is that they need to turn to God. They need to know him. They need to live for him. He loves them. He sent his son to die for them. His son has taken a judgment so that they don't have to take the judgment. If we will not trust in Christ and believe how much he loves us, then God will come and judge us. Turn to him and give him glory. Now, there are so many different ways to say that. Here, it's fear God and give him glory. Judgment has come. You need to be worshiping Him. That's what the message is here, and in, in, in many ways, is what God's message is, and has been, and always will be. We know that that message, though, climaxes in the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ puts together all of these subjects. The cross of Christ takes the glory of God, the real glory of God, in that God left the throne. And came down to earth and took on flesh. He entered into this sinful fallen world. He didn't have to do that. So glory came to us. Remember John chapter 1 says we have seen his glory because we've seen Christ. People that lived and saw him actually in the flesh. And so the glory comes, and he lives his life, and he never sins. He never messed up. He never treated anybody wrongly. He's the biggest blessing there's ever been, the God-man walking on earth. He was fascinating in how he loved and had time and patience and goodness for the way he treated people. And then they didn't like him, so they judged him wrongly. And they killed him on a cross. They crucified him. And yet, to make it even more beautiful, the Bible says that in them doing that, God was also doing that against his son on our behalf. He didn't do it to his son because his son sinned. He did it to his son because you sin, because I sin. And so these subjects here of fear God and give him glory find their realest meaning in the cross of Christ. And everybody needs to hear it. You need to talk about that more. I know y'all don't want to come to church and hear me rant about what you need to be doing more of, but let me just say a little bit today, you need to talk about that more. If there's anybody that's in your house, bring that up. If there's anybody that sits down at your dinner table, bring that up. If there's anybody that you get to talk to in love and in humility and kindness, bring that up. This is God's message of the most important thing in the world for everybody for all time. This is the angel's first message. But what he says here, fear God and give him glory, judgment has come, is just one of the ways to say it, and yet we can say it so many ways. And the Bible does that. Do you remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, listen to this, and do not lean on your own understanding? In a simple little proverb, it says, turn to God, stop trusting you. Same summary. Or what about John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Same idea, same message, just different ways to word this. What about when Jesus said himself, if anybody would come after me, let him Take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. there, There are countless passages in the Bible that we know where it's telling us to stop trusting in ourselves and to trust in God. That would be the best thing for you. The very best thing you can do with your life is not to be a better version of you, not to get yourself together, not to get smarter or better or more successful. The very, very best thing you can do with your life is to turn to God. And this is God's eternal message. Fear God and give him glory. But notice that it specifically says, Proclaim it to those who dwell on earth. Every nation, tribe, language, and people. God wants this message that we just sang about that we are so committed to, that we have a Bible in our hand about, that we put Bible verses in our home about. God wants that message to be told everywhere to everyone. We must get this. It's, it's not good enough for us to be okay with, well, I've got it, kind of hope everybody else gets it. No, we want to bear the burden. We want to hear the calling. We want to feel the push of God's conviction and working in us that they need to hear it. The world needs to hear it. And God wants to do that through me. I remember when I was in college, it was when Walmart really started to take off. Y'all remember that. Now we do have Walmart everywhere, right? Everybody knows where Walmart. You can get there in five minutes to a lot of different Walmarts. But I remember when it wasn't that way. And I remember when people would say, oh, we're getting a Walmart. Hey, out here in this town, we're getting a Walmart. And did you know we're getting a Walmart over here off Outer Loop? Hey, did you know we're getting another Walmart over here off of Outer Loop, right? And I remember when people used to talk that way. I went to college in Tifton, Georgia, and I remember when they got a Walmart. I went to college in Tigerville, South Carolina, and I remember when they got a Walmart. I lived in Fairdale, Kentucky, and I remember when we got a Walmart, and some of y'all do too, right? And Walmart has made it their goal. Hey, we're going to make it where everybody can get to a Walmart. Hey, we're going to make it where if you need a gallon of milk or some deodorant, or you just need something real quick, run to Walmart. Walmart has made it their goal to be available to whoever needs it. The Bible's telling us here that it should be our goal to get this message to whoever needs it. When I was in college, I started hearing about missions and was just being encouraged and kind of excited in my spirit to, to just go. And then in 2002, I signed up to go on what would have been my third straight summer in a row going on a mission trip, and I, I just wanted to go. And I, I contacted the IMB, and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to do whatever you need somebody to do. Send me on the hardest trip ever. So they signed me up to go to Yemen. We are going to go to the Middle East. I was signed up to go to Yemen. While we were getting set to go to Yemen in 2002, some people got martyred in Yemen on our, while our plan was being made to go there. So they contacted us back. and They said, not going to Yemen. We're not sending any college students with no experience there right now. You're not going there. So we're going to send you on a backpacking trip to Ethiopia, Africa. Me and a buddy went. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. We hiked all the way through the mountains of, of Ethiopia. It's the most eye-opening thing I've ever done in my life. True story. We, we flew there. We got on another plane and flew to this real small, tiny shack airport. We, we, we got off there. They put us in a taxi. We went as far as it could go until the road ran out. We got out of there, and they said, okay, here's what you got to do? You got to walk about 36 hours down this trail and there's a village there, and we need y'all to tell us what's going on there. That's what we did. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. As far as the plane could go, as far as the taxi could go, and then almost as far as I could possibly go. 36 hours of walking in the mountains of Africa to get to a village in the sea of people there. When we got there, people living in the smallest, little, most basic huts, everything that you've seen on TV, that was the real thing. We get there, we get there. We, what we ate is stuff like you've never seen before, but you know what they gave us to drink with it? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is everywhere. Somebody got it there. Somebody has gotten Coca-Cola to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, y'all know that Coke's massive, Bottled Coca-Cola is at the deepest places you could possibly go. There's somebody that works for Coke that wants that to happen. There's some planning meeting somewhere, some manager, some boss that says, why not? Why not? If they're carrying other stuff there, why not get it there? And a bottle of Coke, as you know, that thing will last forever. If that, if that cap hadn't been busted off, that thing will last. And they got bottled Coke everywhere. Everywhere they have a bottled Coke, church. You need to feel first message of Revelation 14, John sees a vision of an angel flying overhead that says God's eternal gospel is for everybody everywhere. You need to feel that. You need to be thinking, why don't they have it? Why don't the people at the end of my street go to church when I'm going to church on Sunday morning? Why don't they have it? Why haven't I talked to them? When they walk by and I see them walk by, uh, nine out of ten times you can wave. That's nice. That's being a good neighbor. Hey, how y'all doing? Good weather today. Great night for a walk. You can do that nine out of ten times. But maybe one out of the ten times you walk out there and get to know their name and just bring up the gospel. Bring up Jesus that's forgiven your sins. Invite them to church with you. Invite them in. If if that sounds like too much of a a cold call, that's that's too uh, hard to do, maybe ask them if you you can get them a Coke. You've got a Coke inside, and you'll get them a Coke. And as you talk a little bit longer, then you'll bring it up. The Bible wants us to feel that this is the message. It says every nation, tribe, and language, and people. And I want to share something with you all that, that I don't know if we've shared yet on a Sunday morning. Listen to this. As we've been feeding some of the sports teams all this fall, we've been feeding the football team from Fairdale High School and the boys' soccer team from Fairdale High School and the girls' soccer team from Fairdale High School as they've been going on, people from our church just showing up here and cooking a warm meal, and the team comes and we feed them. And we noticed that there were a whole lot of diversity there, and so I started asking the team, hey, what, where are you from? Where are you from? Listen to this list that has been in our church in the last two weeks. Mexico. Liberia, Congo, Honduras, Guatemala, Cambodia, Vietnam, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Zambia, Kenya, Somalia, Peru, Ecuador, Iraq, Bosnia, Rwanda, Tanzania, Senegal, Sudan. 17, is that 17? 17 different nations living right here in South Louisville, coming from all over the world. And I want you to know, God loves them, and he's got a message for them. He sent his son to die for them. And it is your job to make sure they know it. It is our job to make sure they know it. And we are mistaken. We are out of line. We are irresponsible if we don't let the world know an eternal gospel. Commentator Schreiner says, giving God praise and glory as the creator of heaven and earth is the fundamental requirement of a human being. If God made you, he made you to worship him. We need to let them know that. We need to remind them of that. But see, the reason why it tells it in the way of saying that the hour of judgment has come is because, for as good as that message is, it does bring a sadness. It does bring a heaviness. It does bring an unfortunate side that the people that need to hear it don't believe it. The people that need to hear that God loves them don't believe it. And that's not them. That's how we were, too. And it's still our struggle. That's how we are too sometimes, even still. And so it's not them and us. It's that people reject this notion that they need to turn to God. But that's the message. Romans 121 says it very well. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. People not wanting to honor or thank God. So we have an eternal gospel to share. That's the first message. That was verses 6 and 7. The first angel with his message. And then we get to verse 8. Here's the second one. The second message is a fallen kingdom. It's talking about Babylon. It's one verse, verse eight. Look what it says. Another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The angel is declaring that Babylon, that has been so influential and has had such an impact upon this world, is fallen. She's not going to last. She certainly made an impact. She's got a lot of people to get distracted with false worship and idol worship and not trusting in God. Here it says sexual immorality and the, the passion of the sexual morality. And I think really the bigger issue here is not, not just sexual morality, but just not worshiping God. They've been immoral in so many ways. They've drank the wine of the passion of her sexual morality, the influence of this nation and this power. But I want to make clear that this speaks more than just to Babylon, because here's why. In the Old Testament, we know about Babylon, right? We know about the Babylon and how it came and, and, and conquered Israel and conquered the southern kingdom and conquered Jerusalem. You know about that. It was prophesied in Isaiah. It was prophesied in Jeremiah that Babylon would fall, and it did. In 539 B.C., a few hundred years before Christ came, Babylon fell. But you have the mention of Babylon throughout the Bible. There's no Babylon now because it fell. But you continue to have this mention. And so, because Babylon was so powerful and so influential, right? Some of y'all really remember Babylon in the the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, right? Y'all remember this. Babylon was so influential of being against God and so powerful in overtaking nations and kingdoms that it becomes symbolic and representative of just any godless state any godless city any godless leader that's not helping people know god in this context most people think that it's referring to Rome in the new testament time in first peter you have peter referring to people that are still in babylon He's almost undoubtedly meaning they're still in Rome. But he's calling Rome Babylon because Babylon was so bad and so ugly. I think what we've got going on here in Revelation is this announcement from the angel that this fallen world will not last. This fallen world will not last. One commentator says, Babylon will face judgment for encouraging the worship of false gods. Listen to this. Spreading worldwide the message that it is good and right to rebel against the one true God. Hey, the message from any person, any school, any politician, any leader, any state that will push you to do things that do not factor in God, fearing Him, bowing down to Him, trusting Him, worshiping Him, pushing us to not be that way, leading us to not follow God. That is like Babylon. That's what Babylon is like. Other places in the Bible we are told to fear Babylon or ignore Babylon or go against Babylon or don't give in to Babylon. But the message here today is that Babylon is fallen. It will not last the devil has been defeated, and his influence through the beast has been defeated. It is the lamb standing on top of Mount Zion earlier in this chapter, and that message is the message that we have throughout the Bible comforting us. In First John chapter 2, where it talks about loving the world, listen to what it says. First John two fifteen, it says, "'Do not love the world or the things in the world.'" If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, listen to this, is not from the Father but is from the world. But now listen to verse 17. This is 1 John two seventeen. And the world is passing away along with its desires. And whoever does the will of God abides Forever every fallen struggle in the world, every real temptation in the world, the desire to get rich, the desire of lust, the desire to get pleasure, the desire to abandon God's way and just do whatever you want for yourself for once, those desires will not last. They are of the devil and eventually they will be gone. And the angel with great loud voice says, Babylon, Babylon the great is fallen, to which believers ought to say, yes, there is coming a day, there's coming a day where the weight of this world will no longer weigh down your life. That's the announcement. But in order for you to get that and understand that and embrace that, you must understand that Christ is Lord and the kingdom that he's taking us to will be the new kingdom that he's setting up for us because the old kingdom is fallen. Because the fallen Babylon is not it. It's passing away. When you hear like that, it puts priorities into perspective. And I hope so. It puts priorities into perspective We need to be living for eternity. We need to be living for the kingdom of God. We need to live like the love of God and the glory of God are the most important things to come out of our lives as we live by faith. That's what really matters. Priorities and perspective. The last time that my parents came up to visit, you know, we moved, we got got a new house, and we moved, my parents came up to visit. My dad pulled out of the car a, a cardboard box. And he said, here, we, we brought these to you. And I said, well, what is it? He said, these are all your trophies from when you were a little kid. I don't have any good trophies, y'all. never really won anything good. So he said, nothing great. And I said, and I opened it up. It's an old ratty box. And you open it up, and there's cobwebs in there. And it's like seven-year-old T-ball, machine pitch, you know. And I'm like, well, Dad, I... I don't think I want them. And he said, well, I don't want them either. (laughs) And so now they're just up in my attic. And Lord willing, if time goes on, I'll pass those off to JJ here in a little bit. See what he does with them. He'll probably have enough courage to just toss those things. And don't get me wrong, I'm nostalgic too, and I like to think back to the good old days. I'm not throwing away my kids' trophies yet, don't get me wrong. But you've all been there before, right? Those things don't matter that much anymore, and you know that. They've already passed. They'll get thrown away at some point. And that makes you think, well, then what really does matter? Do T-ball trophies matter that much 30 years later? No, they don't what really does matter? What's going to matter in the end? What am I going to take with me when I stand before God? It won't be any trophies, I assure you that. There 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 might be one trophy award that we have as we get to God. It won't be any trophy we earned on our own. It'll be a crown that he has placed on us when we get there. And the Bible says that when he reward you with a crown because you endured to the end through all of this hardship, the Bible says that we will respond by taking that crown off and laying it down at his feet. The truth of the Bible puts into perspective what our priorities should be. You and I should not be living for the here and now mostly, You and I should not be living here to acquire everything we can. We shouldn't be trying to just store up more and more and more where moth and rust destroy. We should have our eyes set on the Lord who is worthy. We should have our hearts set on eternal life in heaven. We should live the way our leader tells us to live because this world is passing away. Babylon is gone. The influence of Babylon is still here, but the angel says, he's fallen, she's fallen. That's the second message. Message number three starts in verse nine. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. This one's a little bit heavier, isn't it? This third message is an intense warning for you kids with the listening page. This is an intense warning this doesn't change God at all. This doesn't change God's message at all. This fits exactly with the eternal gospel. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. God has always says that he is a judge, but he is so kind and merciful and patient, and patient in his judgment. I think you felt before, man, he should have punished me before this. He should have dealt with me before, but he hasn't. He's been kind to you and patient. But it is the strong, stern message from God That if you will not repent, judgment is coming. An eternal judgment. A wrath of God poured out on you. A suffering in hell forever. The language here is heavy. Tormented in the presence of the Lamb. Forever and ever. And they have no rest. What a strong message from God. But this message from God has been consistent throughout the whole Bible. At the same time that he tells us that, he tells us that he sent his son to die for us and he poured out that same judgment on his son already. You think, man, I don't want to face that. Christ already faced that. You say, I don't want him to do that to me. Jesus already had him do that to him for you. Greater love has no man than this. He would lay down his life for us. Psalm 7 verse 12 says, if a man will not repent... God will wet his sword. Hebrews chapter 10 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Psalm 75 verse 8 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs and then we have that passage that Matt McBroom read earlier from Hebrews chapter 9 that again just helps us put into perspective it says and just as is it just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment that's the order of life you live you live you live you live You're going to die. That's the only time you're going to die, this physical death. You die once. And after that comes judgment. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible has always taught. And that is an intense warning. We've been making this point several times throughout Revelation. We're in chapter 14. But warnings are good for us, aren't they? Just yesterday, we were driving down the road, and one of my kids said, what does the yellow light mean on a stoplight? Red means stop, and green means go. What's the yellow one mean? I don't know, slow down or warning or something. But if it does mean warning, it means the other traffic's going to start coming soon. The other traffic's going to start coming soon. You don't want to be going this way when they start letting the cars go this way. Warnings are good for us. You know, on the stovetop, we got this little light. All the knobs are off, but they can still be hot because you just turned them off, right? And I know you've heard of somebody before that didn't know it, and it was still hot because the knobs had been turned off, and they accidentally touched it. So you know what? We got that little orange light that's right there at the front now. And if the knobs are off, but that light's on, we know what it's doing. It's letting you know. You don't think it's hot because the knobs are off, but it's hot. Don't touch it. It's a good warning. The Bible gives us warning after warning after warning. Don't run from God, don't neglect God. Don't act like he doesn't matter. Don't act like you have time. Don't act like that. Don't live like that. Turn to him. It's an intense warning. The first message is an eternal gospel for all people. The second message is a fallen kingdom. This world is passing away. The third message is an intense warning that we need to hear. And then the passage ends in verses 12 and 13 with this beautiful summary message of endurance and blessing. In verse 12, he says what he's already said. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. We must keep going. Shriner writes, hence, above all else, Believers must continue to hold on. Believers must keep believing. They must keep persevering no matter how difficult their circumstances are. Life on earth is a battle and a struggle, but it will not last forever. Don't give up. Don't give up, he says. Here is a call for endurance. Keep the commandments. Trust in Christ. Walk in faith. That's what the Bible's about. And then in verse 13, it says... This incredible verse that I've got circled now in my Bible because I don't want to forget this one. Revelation 14, 13 needs to be a part of my life always. Look what it says. He hears a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Y'all, that's countercultural. That's out of this world. Most people don't believe that. It's a good thing to die. The Bible is saying here it's a good thing to die. Now, if all that other stuff's true, it's a bad thing to die if you don't know the Lord. But it's a wonderful thing to die for all who trust in Christ. That's what this is saying. Write this down. Blessed are they, and this says, blessed indeed are those who die in the Lord. What a thought. You know, the Bible tells us this time and time again, doesn't it? That for followers of Jesus Christ, death is a blessing. Now, don't get me wrong here. Don't don't hear me wrongly. I mean, I just prayed in the pastoral prayer at the beginning that there's sadness and heaviness. There are other people in our church who have lost loved ones this week. I'm doing a funeral this afternoon at two o'clock. We got a funeral Wednesday. There are a lot of people passing away. We got people with bad diagnoses. We got people getting cancer. We got people that are close to dying, and every single one of us know that our days are numbered. And death weighs heavy on us. It's sad. You lose a loved one, and your life has a hole in it now that cannot be filled. And yes, death is a huge subject. But the Bible teaches here, in love, in truth and comfort, that it is a blessing, a good thing to trust in Christ and die. Psalm 116:15 says, "Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints." In Philippians: 121, Paul says, "For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." And here Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. But look what it says here at the end of verse 13, at the very end. Look what it says. That they may what? Rest. Does everybody see that? They may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Their allegiance was with Christ. They did not give in to this beast or this dragon. We walked with him. We stayed with him. We may have limped through. We may have limped all the way to heaven. We may have crawled or struggled all the way through. We may say, man, this world is about to beat me down, but it did not get me. Christ reigns in my heart. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And the Bible says that it is our faith and our works and our deeds in Christ that are the proof that we are trusting in him. It says that there. They may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. But I want us to look exactly here at the end of this word rest. In verse 13, the blessing for the dead is that they get to rest. Everybody see that? The blessing for the dead in Christ is they get to rest. But look back at verse 11. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no what? Rest. Some of y'all are so tired right now, you will take a nap this afternoon. Some of y'all can't wait to sleep. I don't know what's causing it. Maybe too much caffeine. Maybe we're too busy. Maybe the TV's on too late. I don't know, but people are tired these days. And one of the characteristics of eternal life is rest. Rest. That'll be nice. And one of the characteristics of not knowing God is you will never rest again. Never. You ever had to stay up late, maybe all night, and then try to push through the next day where you seriously are mad at the world and you hate everybody and everything and you are so grumpy and you are so so short and you will snap at anybody over here and everything and you're mad at yourself because you're mad at everybody else? That's just one night One night of no rest. That's just one night of no rest. And just one of the characteristics right here. Heaven, rest. No heaven, no rest. May you and I see in this comfort from God. Listen how Shriner summarizes this final message of endurance and blessing for the dead. He says, believers are called to endure in a world fiercely opposed to them. But this world as it is now is not their home. And thus, those who die in the Lord are blessed. They leave the struggles of this world behind, exchanging them for their final reward. The Spirit reaffirms the blessing of death. Believers rest from the toils marking this present evil age. They will then experience relief from the pressures impinging upon them in life. Believers will rest, John says, because their works follow them. In other words, their works testify that they belong to God. And thus, the rest given them is warranted. What a blessing it is to hear God say, Here, write this down. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. This isn't even the end of chapter 14. Next week, we're going to pick up at verse 14 there, and it's the harvest. It's Christ coming back to gather them all. These passages are to come at us with the heaviness, and they're to make you say, Am I ready? When we did those baptisms earlier, I asked, Are you baptized? See, the thing is, and you can ask both Jeff and Todd, I just told them there, right standing right back there, this water ain't going to do it for you. This water ain't going to clean your heart. This this water ain't going to remove your sins. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead can make you right with God. That's the only thing. But if you'll trust in him, he will. And they are. But then Jesus tells us to go and do that, to let the world know that you're trusting in him. That's what baptism is. We need to be committed to him. We need to be saying, I live for Jesus. I love him who loves me. I live for him who died for me. When we hear these passages here, three messages of truth coming from the angels, that we take it to heart. We say, I'm going to live for God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for revelation. And week after week, it's building us up. It's pointing us to you. Father, thank you for your salvation message. Father, may we tell it. Father, thank you. Thank you for the comfort that there is at death. God, may it really, really comfort us. Father, we thank you for your word. And how week after week, it's just building Slowly but surely building us up. And Father, we pray today that you would give us that priority and that perspective. That you're the most important thing. Father, move in our hearts that we would trust in Christ. That we would love him most. In his name we pray, amen.